I tell you, you gain a whole new perspective when you're asked to to expound on God's word, but then to do it twice. That is really a it's a it's good. It uh, I didn't really mean that, but my flesh says no, it's not good. It's terrible, but it puts me to the test of well, Lord, this is your this is yours, so do as, with it as you please. But uh, I'm going to just, uh, real quickly, now I'm a little bit unconventional here in the fact that uh, I'm going to probably read most of what uh, we're going to discuss here today. And so you might want to have a, a pen and a pencil because what I'm going to be reading is, is Scripture. And then, uh, you know, it pretty much speaks for itself. And so... Um, that's what I kind of base this off of here. But this week's study is titled, Walking in the Spirit. And I should, I guess, uh, preface this in the fact that although this sermon is about walking in the Spirit, and our, our series has been talking about walking in the Spirit, um, or keeping in step with the Spirit, you know, the one that is preeminent here is Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit, all He does is He points us and exalts Jesus. So, although today we're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one that says, I'm not the one, He's the one. Although the Holy Spirit is the Trinity, but He has a different role. Um, so I just wanted to, to, to remind us of that. But this term of walking in the Spirit brings on many connotations. I'm sure you're thinking of things, and, and other people are thinking of things, and have whole different uh, maybe a different perspective of what that, that means, um, and preconceived ideas maybe. So I ask that we put those aside, and as we look at the Scripture today, uh, we want to really know what does the Bible say about walking in the Spirit. It's not designed by man, or religious concept, and it's not a theory. And throughout history, we see that this the, the folks that walked in the Spirit, uh, that were filled with the Spirit since the apostles, that man and religion... The world, the flesh, and the devil all have attempted to capture it, to stone it, to kill it, to wipe it from the face of the earth. And when that didn't work, they often choose to dilute it, to counterfeit it, and then to capitalize on it. And God created this awesome concept of communing with man, and it is truly unimaginable and miraculous. He is the only power source for walking in the Spirit. And today we're going to beg Him to show us more of Him and how we can walk with Him. So let's, let's open in prayer here. Lord, You know that uh, this isn't something that uh, is, is necessarily something that I want to do. But Lord, uh, we want You to speak to us through Your Word. And Lord, that's why we gather here, is to, to magnify you, to praise you as, that's, as we were designed. That was the purpose of, of creating man, was to bring you glory. And Lord, uh, we gather here today, and we want to hear from you, from your word, a fresh word. Even those that have been sitting here even earlier this morning, Lord, you, you want to speak now, not uh, something that's, that's stale. You want to speak now through your word to us. And so Lord, I just ask that you would, you would do that. And Lord, help me to submit to you, hold my tongue when it needs to be held, help me to speak what you want to speak, and Lord, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, 
my element normally in this church here is I, I teach first, second, third grade, okay? So when, when Brother John asked me to, to consider this, my first response, my fleshly response was, no, that's all right, thanks. I'm sure someone else will be better at that, and there are plenty. Um, but then when we're talking about keeping the step of the Spirit, walking the Spirit, I knew that was a fleshly response, and uh, so by just uh, uh, closing off that part of my brain, you know, in the flesh, and saying, no, I know that God does say in His Word that when you're called to give an answer or called to share God's Word, you don't shy away from that. Holy Spirit inside me says, Caleb, you don't shy away from that. Holy Spirit says to you, do not shy away from that when you're given the opportunity to to share God's Word. And so it's kind of like jumping in a pool, uh, you hold your nose, you sometimes you just jump in, whether you want to or not. Um, so <clears throat> that's what I did. So I thought, well, you know, in studying this, you don't want to hear what I have to say. Um, but we do want to know what God wants to say. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to the first, second, third grade class. And I brought us a poster here that uh, this is kind of what I, the perspective I took. Um, how to study the Bible. Now, this is first, second, third grade here, so I'm sure you all already know all this. But... Uh, First thing is we want to observe. Let's look at the Scripture, and, and we don't want to take things out of context. That's very dangerous, and actually it's wrong. So uh, we don't want to take it out of context. We want to observe the whole word of what God says and ask questions uh, like, who is talking? What are they speaking about? When was they talking? What was the, the, con- the, the time frame they were in? Um, where were they at? Why was this being said? What was being addressed? And then after we gather those facts, we want to attempt to interpret. Well, what does this mean? Well, be sure that I don't start to interpret and that you don't start to interpret what it means. We want the Scripture to interpret what it means. And by doing that, I mean don't go looking for Scripture to fit the agenda, but look for the concept of the themes running through the Scripture and, and throughout the Scripture. And so let this Bible interpret the Bible. And and so we ask, what does this mean? And so we let the Bible tell us, what does this mean? And then, after that, this last part here is the part that we all really want to dive into, is the, the application. You know, uh, the head knowledge puffeth up and make us, make, us, make us proudful, pride. So, you know, we want to apply this. It's not just for head knowledge, it's just for doing, doing knowledge. So the application, how can this change me? Now that I know the facts, I see what the God is saying in His Word, in context, through the themes of Scripture, in different circumstances, how God doesn't change. How does this apply to me? What's going to have to change about me? Um, in the end, is to make me conform me to His image, right? So, I'm going to just tape this right on the front here, because that's what I do in our Sunday school class, so we all can see it and help us to, to put this in our minds. So, so this idea of walking in the Spirit. <clears throat> what we're going to talk about is primarily directed to the disciples of Jesus that are sitting in this room right now. But let it be known that He is calling new disciples still yet today. So if you don't know the Lord, you know if that's the case or not. Because if you do, you know, the Holy Spirit within you bears witness with yours that you're a child of His. And if that's not the case, then you realize you're not. God still is going to speak through His Word 
today to you. And so <clears throat> this is going to be very applicable to all of us. Um, and so at a moment's notice, when the Scripture starts starts speaking to you, whether you're a believer or not, you know, you're going to start this act and acts. It talks about the God's Word pricking our hearts. And you know, if you've ever been pricked before, you normally don't feel too good. You know, and you go, well, stop that. Leave me alone. And they prick you again. Well, stop that. You know, and eventually you want to get whatever's pricking away, or you like to run away from it. So uh, keep that in mind. You can't hide from God. But the Scripture also says that uh, His Spirit will always strive with man. And so you know what? If you reject God and you harden your heart towards Him, there will come a time that your heart will be hard and He will turn you over to what you want. So, just a, a word of caution. So, one of the questions I asked was, who designed this idea of walking with God, or walking in the Spirit? And why would God want to walk with man? So, you know, as you know, the Scripture is divided into the, the two parts, the Old Testament, or Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. And the idea of walking in the Spirit, or, or walking with God, Walking with God was very prevalent in the Old Testament. At that Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit did not indwell man on a continual basis. He would come upon a fellow that was walking by faith, and he would work through him and with him. In the New Testament, God says that he will come and he indwells his, his, his children. Okay, Those that move by faith, he prompts that uh, action of faith through repentance and, and he'll come and dwell, that believer. And once he indwells you, you are a new creation. As, as we've been talking in Romans and in different passages in the past, you are born again. And once that happens, the Holy Spirit does not leave you or forsake you. You're, you're his, and he's yours. So <clears throat> we were created by God for his glory, to worship him, to have relationship with him in obedience from the beginning, man was created to have an intimate relationship with God. From the beginning. We're going to start in Genesis here. So man was made after God's image. That was God's design. He breathed into Adam, and he made Adam a living soul, different from the animals and all the rest of the creation. In Genesis 2, God communicated to Adam and had a relationship with Adam because he communicated to Adam. There was no sin to... to to hurt that relationship, he was communicating with Adam. He explained to Adam uh, his uh, purpose, um, and that uh, uh, lost my place here. Let's see. <clears throat> he outlined to him his will as to what he wanted him to accomplish. God then created Eve and instructed them to multiply. Well, soon after that took place, um, Satan was in the midst of the garden and began to question God's word. Now, that's one thing we have to watch for. Still yet today, Satan's schemes have not changed. He starts to question God's word. He says, did God really say this, 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 this? Are you sure that's really what the Bible says? Do you really have to do it that way or submit? Huh, that's old world thinking. That is not this world thinking. And Well, that's right. That's not this world's thinking. But it is what the Bible teaches. So there's lots of things in the scripture that Satan is going to attempt to get us to, to doubt. And so that's what happened in the garden. Did God really say this, this, this. And so Adam and Eve, listening to that, began to question God's word. In verse 6 of chapter 2, we see that it was Eve said that the fruit was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. And it was a tree to be desired to make one wise as God's. Well, if we turn to the opposite of the scripture, 
In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the Scripture says to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, it was good to eat, the lust of the eyes, as she said, it was pleasant to the eyes, and the pride of life, she said, we're going to be wise as God's, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So notice from Genesis to well, the book of 1 John, we're heading to Revelation there, Satan's schemes have remained the same. In James chapter 2, verse 14, it says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and when sin is finished, brings forth death. So as you can see, from Adam to you and me sitting here today, the same battle is taking place. So we'll go back to the garden. So they eat the fruit. Then God shows up in the garden, calls out to Adam, and asks him where he is. Now we all know that God knew where Adam was. He basically wanted to know that Adam knew where he was. Adam's position. So sin, at that point, brought forth the curse of death. Innocent blood was shed, and a covering was given by God. They didn't have to do anything for it. And a promise of the Messiah was given. Now this was done not just between God and man, but let's think about who's in the garden there. You have God, you have Adam and Eve, you have man, you have Satan, he's there, right? You have the creation of what God had given, and you also have the angels, because they already exist. So just to put that in the back of your mind. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passes on all men. For that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses when the law was given, and even over them that have not sinned after the same similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was yet to come, being Jesus. So man, you and I, will not escape death. And he cannot escape sin. When we're into this world, we are in the world of sin and death. That's a problem. So from here, Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. But, but God still pursued them. Still pursued man. And this is where it gets a little bit uh, hard to, to understand why this would be. So God still pursued man, because we can go right into the next chapters where he pursued Abel. He pursued other men such as Enoch, Noah, uh, Abraham, Sarah, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Knowing their position of where they're at and what had happened to man, God still pursued man. He wanted a relationship with them. Now why? That's a hard hard question, but uh, I'm not going to give that answer, but... uh, that's the fact of what he did. So in Exodus chapter 6, Exodus 29, in Leviticus also chapter 26, we read that God wanted to dwell in the midst of them and walk in the midst of them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. After God established the, the children of Israel in the promised land, God wanted his people. But his people wanted a king, and they didn't want to be ruled by him. So he turned them over to their desires with a warning of what was yet to come. So think about it, I mean, the children of Israel, all of what the history of God walking with them, walking with men of faith such as Moses, 
carrying them all the way through the, you know, the Red Sea in battles, providing for them, providing water, all those things. And still yet, generation after generation after generation, they would turn their heart against God and say, thanks, but we got this one. Do we do that? Do we forget the perspective of who God is, number one, the perspective of who I am, number two, and just go on with life as I think is what's normal? And, and we're, being, we're being tricked. We're being tricked. We're wasting our lives away in things that are not of the Spirit. So in 1 Samuel, they gave us, God allowed him to have a king, warned him of what, what, of what was yet to come. So Samuel, a man of God, warned him later on, only fear the Lord and serve him. And when they talk about fearing the Lord, you're, you're recognizing that God is there with you. When you have the fear of the Lord, you're giving him uh, space in your brain to say, Lord, I recognize that you're here. And then you decide at that how you're going to respond to that, but you recognize that he is there with you. Samuel said, Fear the Lord, serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he has done for you. Well, Saul chose to go his own way and, and did not want to submit to God, didn't want to be obedient, uh, was not a man of God. And so after removing Saul, God made David their king. And God testified himself concerning David. He said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So we see again, you know, what's important to God? Someone he is communicating with. Someone who's walking with him and talking with him. Someone he has a relationship with. And not just in his mouth, you know, says he does or, or reads his Bible. But actually when it comes time to be obedient, he submits to God and, and does it. And that's, that's the hard part for all of us. So that was a key in David's life. And David was known as a man that was after God's heart. And as you know, David wrote many, much of the scripture, especially in Psalms. In Psalms 1, it talks about this man. He says, blessed is the man. Now this word blessed is not just, you know, bless you, you sneezed, or, or bless you, bless you, bless you, you know, goodwill towards you. That's the word blessed here, when you look it up, the root of it is talking about being straight as an arrow, hitting the target, advancing and going on. So when you think about, in my concept of the word blessed, I think, well, that means I've obtained something. Well, as the scripture is talking about here, it's talking about, about hitting the mark and accomplishing, really, what God has set forth for us to accomplish, which is to bring him glory and to serve him and to be new creatures here in, in this New Testament time. So it says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. The word of God. Getting to know who God is. So his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate? He thinks about day and night. So I ask us, if we were to just close our eyes here and think, in the last 24 hours, what have I seen, touched, done, thought about? It's, it's kind of a, maybe not, no volunteers to want to share, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, what we put in our minds is, is, is creating our path of where we're walking. Because we're going to see here in a little bit that we, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit lives within you and you have the flesh. 
They don't see eye to eye. Okay? So <clears throat> whatever you meditate on, whatever you think about, wherever your delight is, that's where you're going to be. But this man, he meditates on God's word day and night, and he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, how many of us have planted fruit trees? I planted fruit trees. Very few people plant fruit trees in this audience. So. First service, all of them did, I think. But uh, So you plant a fruit tree. Do you pick out the, the driest spot, highest on the hill, so you can get the most wind? And Is that where you plant a fruit tree? No, of course not. You're going to plant the fruit tree in the most fertile ground you can find. If it's by water or a water source, you have good groundwater. That's even better yet, right? Um, so, and what happens? That you're looking for nutrients. You're looking for things to, to build up that, that plant, that tree, so that the fruit will pop out. All right? So it says here that this man will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. So the tree isn't straining to make the fruit. The fruit just kind of shows up, right? The fruit, the tree doesn't do anything to produce the fruit. It's just a tree. The nutrients that are growing through the tree produce the fruit, right? So his leaf also will not wither. So he's getting the nutrients again of what he needs. And whatsoever he does will prosper. And then it compares it to the ungodly. that are not sober like the chaff, those that are dried up, which the wind drives away. And therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment of the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So move on from Psalms and to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, he tells us that the conclusion of the whole matter, which we all probably like to hear that about now, right? The conclusion of the whole matter is that we would fear God, again, acknowledging his presence and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. In Isaiah chapter 43 it says, everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. Again, the purpose of God creating us is to bring him glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. In Jeremiah 31, 33, we start to see God kind of expounding again on what he's wanting to accomplish. He says, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, God's word in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Remember, this is in Jeremiah that was first talked about in, in what, Exodus and Leviticus and those areas. Ezekiel, he said, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take up the stony heart out of their flesh and give them, give them a heart of flesh, a soft heart, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And then we get to John in the New Testament, which Jesus has not died yet. And it said here that henceforth I'm going to call you not servants, for the servants know what his Lord does. But I have called you friends. And he wanted that relationship. For all things that I have heard of my Father have made known unto you. And then Acts chapter 1, which at this point, again, Jesus is, is he's at this point, past, he's died, he's been buried, he's risen again, and he's still on the earth. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said that you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized from the Holy Ghost from not many days from now. But you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. So we see that you know, when Jesus was on earth, and there was lots of scriptures, and you can look them up yourself, or I can give you copies of them, 
where Jesus talked about he was sending a comforter. He was sending a, what we sang a while ago. There were three things that that, that song mentioned. It was a comforter, it was a counselor, and what was the third one? Keeper. That's right. Well, the word comforter, I looked it up, and uh, and I'm no, it's amazing what you can get on the internet nowadays on the Bible study tools. Um, the word comforter, uh, the Greek word here is, well, I won't tell us, uh, I'll just give you the parts of it I can pronounce. The first one is para, and that is meaning close beside. Kaleo means to make a call. So close to side and make a call. So at that time, this word was used to describe a legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because he's close enough to the situation. It was also, so basically it was describing what we would do in today's words, an attorney. Someone that can give evidence and that stands up in court because he's close to the situation and knows what he's defending. So let's think about this. Why would they use that word, comforter? When I think of comforter, I think of my mommy cradling me, right? But uh, that's not what the Holy Spirit is doing here. So an attorney that is defending someone, who's the guilty party? Who? All right, the accused. And right now, that would be me, right? Because sin passed on all men. And so I'm the guilty party. And we have an accuser, the prosecuting attorney, right? Well, first of all, let's talk, who's the judge? The judge in this scenario would be, who's the judge of us all when it's all said and over? God himself, God the Father. And so then we have an accuser, and the Bible says that we have a, a comforter, a defender, someone that's going to stand that's close to my situation, and who's going to defend, defend my, my case. Well, first of all, without the Holy Spirit... And dwelling in me, I have no defender. And so the things that he's going to accuse me of, we're going to read in Galatians 5 later, are things such as adultery, which Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after, you commit adultery in your heart. Fornication, murder, idolatry, uh, drunkenness. Um, uh, I can't even read my writing. Um, <clears throat> but the things listed in there, the... Um, Witchcraft, hatred. So those are the things that he's accusing me of. Now I am guilty or innocent? I'm guilty. I'm full guilty. If you didn't know, I'm guilty, all right? So <clears throat> I'm guilty. Now as a believer, when I recognize what Jesus has done, and he died for my sin, and I repent to God, because that's what the scripture says to repent. Ask forgiveness and say, Lord, save me. I cannot save myself. I want to change. I don't want to be this person. Lord, save me. There's no special words to say. He looks on the heart. But when he sees that heart of repentance, and Lord, I want to submit to you. I want you to be in charge of me. And now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit recognizes that heart, sees what's going on, and he's going to change that person. Now that he's going to be... That person is going to be born again, right? That's what the scripture says. So now, let's say this happens right now to you sitting here in the pew right now. So if that happens, you're still sitting in the pew, right? And has your brain, physical brain changed? No, it's not. Has your body changed? Are you still sitting in the pew? 
You are. You're still in this flesh body. But the Bible says that you have been born again. And the, the, who you were has been, what, crucified with Christ, has been buried with him, has been raised with him to walk in newness of life. That's what we're talking about, walking in the Spirit. So now I'm a new creation on the inside. And this isn't something that you can, the more you ponder it, the more your brain just kind of hurts. Um, but that's what the Bible says, that you are a new creation. And as we, well, we'll get to this other part here in a second. So, so with that, the Holy Spirit comes inside me, and now he is my defender. He is my comfort. He's the one that is that pretty much says, Satan, this child has been born again. He, as we'll see in the scripture here in a little bit, he is, a, he is a, one of the brethren. He's one of the brothers of Christ. Now, that seems sacrilegious to say, but that is what the New Testament says. He came and he bore iniquities. He came into to sinful flesh, conquered it, and he calls us brothers. Hard to imagine, but that's what it is. And so he defends us, and it's only by the shed blood of Jesus that my righteousness, that God can look at me and say, all right, the, whole, my, the Trinity is down there with, with Caleb. Yes, that blood covers him. Yes, he's still in the sinful body, the sinful flesh. But is this body going to go to heaven? This physical body, is it going to make it to heaven? It is not. It's going right back to the dirt. So this body is physically not going to make it to heaven anyway. But the new person of who I am on the inside, that's a new creation. That's a new creation. So, so, and then we're going to, so now, he promised the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit arrives at Pentecost and dwells the followers of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, we see that the gospel, um, they reference Joel chapter 2 as a prophecy that he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they were pricked in their hearts, and they told them, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for remission, for payment of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And 3,000 souls were added that day. And 3,000 souls had the Holy Spirit living within them, according to the Scriptures. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. So again, has our, our purpose of our creation changed to bring him glory? No, that's still a purpose of why we're created. But now we have, those of us who are believers, we actually have the power Within us, because of our new creation and the Holy Spirit residing inside me, we can actually potentially cover that out, carry it out. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, communion of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 Corinthians 3.16 said, Know you not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. In Galatians 4, 4 through 7, it said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Daddy, Father. And so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's how God sees us, as an heir through him. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. 
Ephesians 2, 19-22 says, Now therefore you are no more, no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles. See, we're kind of moving through, I'm moving chronologically here through the, through the scripture. And it says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building is fitly framed together, all the different pieces, growth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So get, get the picture here. This body definitely is not just Ramsey Creek Baptist Church. And it's not just in 2017. It is from the apostles. And working all the way through here. And even before that, the men of faith prior to that. And we're all fitly joining this temple, which we're going to read about and actually in Revelation. And, uh, and so this concept of, of walking with God is not a new concept. And it speaks about it in, in Colossians, in Titus. We get down to Revelations here it's in chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Your pleasure they were created. And then chapter 21 of Revelations, it says, And I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And all that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these words, for they are true, and they are faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Is that not the same message we started out with in the front of the scripture, and now all the way to Revelation, it's continually the same message. So this walking with God, probably a little bit important, wouldn't you say? We might want to really tap in to know, what is this? Because it seems to be when it all fleshes out in the end, that's what he cares about. Am I walking with him? Am I communing with him? Or am I just coasting? One, one side note. In 1 Peter 1, 12... This concept of the gospel, and this concept of the Holy Ghost, and the fact of, of the Holy Ghost coming and dwelling a man, because that's what happens when you're born again. This concept, it says in 1 Peter 1, 12, at the end of the verse, says the gospel, let me back up. So the disciples that minister these things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And these things that the angels desire to look into. Now I want you to think for a second. I don't, you know, obviously the Hebrews tells us we don't worship angels. We don't, actually our focus should never be on angels. Nothing wrong with studying them. But they need to know their place, in, or we need to know their place in, in the scheme of things. They're not our focus. Okay? 
that can be something that, that sometimes people will run or rely on. But uh, the angels are not our focus. But I do want you to think about what this passage is saying. That the angels desire to look into this. And we're talking about angels who are in the throne room of God. So who knows more? Who knows more about life? Who knows more about this earth? Who knows more about history? Who knows more about the cosmos? Who knows more? Just name it. Who knows more? You are the angels. Now how much do I think, how much do you think you already know about the gospel? And yeah, I got it. It's it's pretty pretty simple. If you repent, be baptized, I'm going to heaven. Sorry, according to this, if the angels are still trying to figure out how it actually works and why it actually works and why God is actually doing it, do we even have the slightest inkling of what we're participating in? We do not. Think about it. the angels are outside of time. We are in we're going to have what? You're going to have so many years, and then you're going to be dead. And you were born at a certain time. The angels have seen, well, they saw creation. They saw Adam. They saw all these prophets. They saw the apostles. They saw time stand still in a battle. God stopped the sun. They see all that. And just the fact that they're outside of this, this world, this time frame, and yet they are still really wanting to know more is how this, this gospel, how this indwelling Holy Spirit comes to live in this, this man as the believers, as the church. They're still trying to, they, they, they desire to look into it. That means they don't, they don't know, don't understand exactly how that works. So I'd venture to say, brothers and sisters, as we read the scripture and engulf ourselves into this and, and put more of this into our mind and really get to know him, all of a sudden, you're going to start to see the God that we serve. There's no words to explain Him. There's no words to explain Him. And, the, and you then also gain perspective as to who you really are. I'm really the peon. I'm less of a peon than I thought I was. Or more of a peon than what I thought I was. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> More or less, those were basic principles I probably didn't learn too well. But uh, So according to this passage throughout history, we clearly see that God created us to walk in relationship with him. Bringing him glory through proclamation outside my mouth and also through submissive obedience. And where the first Adam failed to bring this to pass through the work of the flesh, the second Adam, Jesus, he conquered the flesh. He conquered sin and he conquered death. And then he empowered his body the church, by coming and dwelling in us to the power of the Holy Spirit. Man can have this intimate relationship with God today and fulfill God's purpose for you today. So as we looked in the scripture, we've mentioned a lot of people uh, in the Old Testament and, and talked about the apostles in the New Testament. That Jesus, he walked with man. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for you hear. For truly I say that many prophets and righteous people have longed to see this day, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And brothers, we live in the time after the Messiah, Messiah, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Do not forget or lose sight of the opportunity that we have right now to be 
to, to allow Him to work through us to be more than this world has ever seen. So one of the requirements, as we talked about, is you must be born of the Spirit. He spoke to Nicodemus in, Nicodemus in the New Testament about this. And he said that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. They're not the same, and you must be born again if you're going to be a child of God. In Galatians chapter 3, it said, uh, let me ask, well, let me back up. Galatians, Galatians was written because you had a church in Galatia, and, and they were given the, the gospel, they responded to the gospel, and the scripture talks about them, them flourishing and growing, I think, you know, maybe like that tree where it started to pop out some fruit. And all of a sudden, there, there was some other influence. Surprised? Not. So the other influence started to come in and said, well, you're right. Jesus is the only way. But it would be good if we also did some of these other things. Because this will help you be more holy and it will please God more. Now, is that a truth or is that a false? It's a false, right? More holy? Uh, we're only holy by, by one way, right? Is Jesus alone? And so they started to influence the, the Galatians that they needed to do certain other things. Revert back to some of the law. And, and even today, you know, that's prevalent in the churches here even today. It can be prevalent in my own mind that I need to do A, B, C, D to be holy. Well, no, that's not accurate. Um, Holy Spirit will prompt me to do good things, but I don't do it to be holy. He is the one that makes me holy. So Galatians 3, 2 said, let me ask you this. So Paul was asking the Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Well, it was by faith, right? So the Spirit that began this work, are you going to be perfected by the flesh now? You've got to finish it off because he didn't get it done? No, not at all. That's not how it works. And so in Galatians chapter 4, Verses 4 through 7, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption of sons. And because you are the sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Daddy God. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son when you were born again. So who can walk in the Spirit? Those who are born again that have the Holy Spirit living within them. Now, the Scripture talks a lot about contrasting who cannot walk in the Spirit. I'm not going to go through a lot of those verses, but basically it talks about them being in darkness, not understanding the light. They stumble, They and uh, obviously Jesus is the light, because um, that talks about that in John. But even in Jude, it talks about uh, that those that are ungodly, they're going to walk after their own lust, they're going to feed their flesh, they're not going to walk after the Spirit, they're going to always walk after, after their ungodly lust and desires. So that does not describe a, a believer. So let's go back to Galatians, and if you want to turn to, to chapter 5, it would be good if you did. In Galatians, uh, in chapter 5 here, we're going to r- jump to verses uh, 19. So Galatians chapter 5 talks a lot about you know, getting away from you know, ignoring those people. Matter of fact, he started to call them out. He said, you know what? Tell me who those people are. I mean, Paul was kind of aggressive about it. He wasn't just skirting the issue because these people were, were diverting, were watering down the truth of God and leading the people astray. And that's why 
Don't take my word for this. Go look these scriptures up and read them for yourself. Get along with God. Let him tell you what this says by looking at other scriptures that compare against it. So when we get to verse 16, Paul said, This is what I say. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Then he goes on to say, now these are the works of the flesh that like to manifest themselves, which are these. I'm going to read them off the list here because I've got the King James here, so we'll break it down here. So, adultery. Well, adultery, that's easy to understand. That's a married person loving someone else. But what did Jesus say? If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you commit adultery in your heart. So, guilty, right? Fornication. Pornea is the root word of fornication. That's the Greek word there. That is selling off or surrendering, surrendering of sexual purity of any kind. That's a pretty large blanket, wouldn't you say? Uncleanness, unpure thoughts or actions. Lasciviousness is outrageous conduct, shocking in the public um, to public decency. It's wanting violence. It's a type of lewdness. Idolatry is serving and worshiping another god in place of God himself. Witchcraft is magic, sorcery, casting of spells, enchantment, drug-related sorcery, the practice of magical arts. Do we want to hang around that? No. It doesn't matter how small or funny we think it is. I mean, we see a lot of that in our, our culture, do we not? All right, hatred. Well, I think we, we know what hatred is. Variance is literal quarreling, strifing, a readiness to quarrel. You know, let's get on a debate here. Let's, let's, and not, you know, they're not debating in the right setting, but someone that always wants to, always wants to debate with you about what the Bible says and, and justify this and, and debate that. That's, that's what it's talking about here. Emulation is a jealousy, a burning emotion type of jealousy. Wrath. It's like uh, it describes it as getting heated up, breathing violently, you know, uh, anger. Strife is seeking, um, seeking followers by gifts, trying to create a feud or a faction. Sedition is division, dissension, staying apart from the crowd with the, intention, with the intent to say, I'm, I'm separating myself from them. And I'm talking about, you know, within the church here, obviously. <clears throat> Heresies, and this was an interesting one that I really had never really dug into at all. A heresy is a self-chosen opinion, a religious or philosophical sect, discord or contention. Now the key there is a self-chosen opinion. It's not someone that's standing on God's word. It's someone that's coming up with their own opinion on how things should operate. And anyone else that thinks they should operate this way, you can fall in line with me. Because actually the word heresies was used to describe the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Go think on that. Envying is a grudge, spite, murder. What would Jesus say about that? If you hate your brother, that would be the same. Drunkenness is intoxication, getting drunk. Reveling is wild partying, feasting, carousing, 
drinking hard, and such like, of which I told you before, as I told you in times past, that they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the items that he describes as walking in the flesh. Now, how many people's flesh want to do any of these things on here? Nobody? Well, that's not what the Holy Spirit wants, and he lives within me. But my flesh, yes, it likes to do some of these things, and that's why that has to change. The flesh cannot rule a Christian. The spirit that lives within you must rule. And the flesh must come into subjection until we can shed him off. When either either Christ comes back or you can bury this body. And really, that's that's why death should be kind of an exciting thing. Where's your sting? Ha, ha, ha. I'm leaving you behind, buddy. No more of you. I don't have to fight with you anymore. So as we continue reading in verse 22 of Galatians, says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which that's what, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness. Meekness is, is, is strength under complete control. You know, Jesus was meek. He wasn't weak. That's not anything close to the same. A meek is a bridled, like a racehorse, that is in complete control of its owner. Or a car, right? It's in complete control of my foot. <clears throat> Strength under control. And the last one is self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. It says if we... Let's see. And they that are Christ have crucified... What? The flesh. With the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory provoking one another, envying one another. And then chapter 6 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so this fulfills the law of Christ. Meaning that you're loving God and you're loving your brother. So notice that this chapter 6 verse 1 there, because you know, we could go through that list, and then we could start, you know, comparing ourselves to other people, and that's not that's, that's wrong. That, that would be that'd be back in the list of the works of the flesh. So don't even let's not go down that road. But we're we're going to struggle. We collectively are going to struggle. There's no one in this room. It doesn't matter if if who you are. There's no one that does not struggle against the flesh. Now, as you grow in the spirit, the goal is is that the flesh is going to rule, or that the spirit. What's coming out of my mouth? The the spirit is going to rule over the flesh, and that takes that takes practice. It's kind of like, matter of fact, one of the lists, one of the items in the list here, of the fruit of the spirit was uh, let's see, I thought the faith was in that list. It's not in that list. I'm thinking of a different list here. But the point is, is that on these fruits of the Spirit, who, who's producing these? Is it something I go out and do? Can I get enough strength and goodness to go out and, and love as Christ loves or have self-control? No, I can't. Now, so how do I, how do I really walk in the Spirit? You know, now that's 
getting close on time. We're actually getting to what we actually are going to talk about. <clears throat> so how do we walk in the fruit of the Spirit? First of all, our job is to submit to the Holy Spirit. Because these, these items that he's talking about, these fruits, well, we'll talk about a fruit. When you plant a tree, like I said, does a tree strain to pop out this fruit? No, not at all. So what do you provide the tree so that it can produce fruit? To correct nutrients, right? You have to feed it. It has to feed itself. If you plant it somewhere, you're not going to fertilize it. It better have enough fertile ground around it. It can pull those nutrients up into itself. Because if there's not enough, is that tree ever going to produce fruit? It's going to be barren, right? And Jesus talked about barren vines and, and trees. That wasn't good. So where do we get this nutrients? Where do we get it? From the Word of God, that's right. Getting close to Him by reading about Him, getting to know Him. As I get to know who He is and how He operates, how He operates in the Old Testament, how He operates in the New Testament, and how He's the same God, and I start putting these things in my mind, because what do we talk about my brain? When I got saved, my brain didn't change, right? I still had all the things it liked to do still in there. And so to, to change that brain, that mind, the Scripture says I need to put God in there, right? And it will it'll conform my mind. It will start changing those things. And so as I start eating on this, it's going to start changing this. And then it's going to start changing maybe some of my attitudes when, when so-and-so is a real jerk to me. My response will be, you jerk. My response is going to be, okay, Lord, you said to pray for those that hurt you. Lord, help me look at the bigger pictures to what's going on with so-and-so. I don't know what you're doing in his heart. I don't know what's going on in his life. But help me to respond with these fruits of the Spirit. And that's putting my flesh, telling my flesh, no, you can't do that. And we're going to conform to what God says. And so then all of a sudden as that tree starts to eat on this, these nutrients and it starts to swell up in here, the more I eat, the more I'm going to produce, right? So I'm not straining to produce these fruits. They're just automatically something your person is going to start seeing popping out on this person because of the nutrients that they're absorbing and putting inside their body. And of course, eventually the flesh, the sinful flesh that I'm still living within, is going to start being conforming. And when the Bible talks about working out your salvation, it's not saying work for your salvation. It's saying, what is in here? Start working it out and start producing those fruits. So, easier said than done, right? But, that's why we hold each other accountable. You know, did, did, you know we, we, it's good to have accountability partners to memorize God's Word. Hey, how'd that go this week? Well, do you know that verse? You know, or either your spouse or you know, kids, your parents, parents or kids. The Bible tells us to do that, is to help put God's Word in our children. Help keep each other accountable that we're putting God's word into each other. Because then all of a sudden, it will start changing me and you, us collectively, and then the world is going to start seeing, well, how do they know that that they're of Jesus? Because they love one another. Didn't Jesus say that? That's the fruit of the Spirit. There's things starting to well change inside of me and start flourishing out where other people see it. And does fruit pop out just like that when you plant the tree? No. I mean, I've planted a few trees that they had pretty teeny tiny fruits to begin with, you know, first year or two. But as you take care of it and it nurtures itself, 
it's going to become a healthy tree, as we read about in Psalm 1. So there's a verse I want to want to read, and it's kind of a... Uh, It's, it's a verse that we all know and love, uh, dear to our hearts. And I'll just tell you, it's a passage in, in Ephesians that talks about uh, wives submitting to your husbands, okay? And you say, well, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, I went and I kind of paraphrased it. This may be the wrong way to approach this. So. <clears throat> but at the very end of the passage, Paul said that this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. So what I did, I kind of went through and I took out all the husband-wife stuff and tried to replace words of Jesus and the church and us to make it more personal to try to help figure out this mystery that he's referring to. So this is, I'll just read it. Church, or you, put your name in that spot if you're a believer, submit yourselves unto the Lord, for Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body, meaning the body of the church. If you're a believer, he's the Savior of you. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so be subject to him in everything. Christ loves the church. He loves you, and he gave himself for you, that he might sanctify and cleanse you with the washing of water by the word. See how that showed up again? How does he cleanse us? How does he change us? By the washing of the word, reading the word, pushing that other stuff out of this body here. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So Christ loves his wife as his own body. He loves the church. Christ loves his wife and loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Now I read there he loves himself. I thought, well, that don't sound too good. Well, let's read on. For we are members of his body, of his flesh. And of his bones. Okay, so when he loves his own flesh, he's loving me. For this cause shall Christ leave his Father, will be joined unto us the church, unto you the believer, and they too shall be one flesh. Where does the Holy Spirit reside when I'm a believer? Right here. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So, next time we read that passage, or you hear that passage, husbands, brothers, and I took that out because for me, it already, already, I got that passage memorized, husbands, or wives, submit to your husbands, right? Well, <clears throat> it's really talking about the mystery of me and him. Do I submit to him? That's what I need to be worried about, thinking about. So, in conclusion... To walk in the Spirit is not about doing. We don't want to get mixed up with like the Galatians were, that thinking this is a, a performance-based operation. It's not. It's not because according to the Scripture, we're to submit to the Spirit, feed on God's Word, and God's Word is sufficient to do the rest in me. So we have to start with this. It's very basic. Submit to Him. All of a sudden, my mouth might start to change. My attitude towards people might start to change. But I have to start reading God's Word. Coming on Sunday, and that's the only time if I hear God's Word, then what kind of fruit tree is that going to be? It's not going to bear fruit. It's not going to bear fruit. So, and I tell you what, and that's what, 
You know, that's what home teams was designed for, was to study God's Word during the time. Um, There's things that happened Sunday school on Sunday. was designed for that, to study God's Word. But even that, it's great to study it collectively, but we have to study it individually because this salvation experience of the angels desire to look into, it's, it's, it's one-on-one. Do I walk with God? <clears throat> you might want to jot down, and I won't read it here today, but in uh, John... Chapter 14, starts in verse 9. Philip asked Jesus if he could see God. I'll just read what Jesus' response was. Jesus said to him, I have been so long a time with you, and yet, do you even know me, Philip? And it goes on from there. Philip had walked with Jesus for a long time. That's what he said. And yet Philip was asking for things that Jesus was thinking, Come on, Philip. We've been together a long time. Do you even know me? So brothers, sisters, let this be a, a, a prompt to for me and keep me accountable that we dig in God's Word, get to really know Him, and as we do, your world will change. For the better. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that uh, the change that's made in us, Lord, is not something that we muster up, but it's all you. And it's all Jesus. And I thank you that uh, while we were still yet sinners, you came and demonstrated your love to us, and you died for us. And Lord, we don't claim to understand all of how that works in the background of things that we don't even see that take place. But Lord, we, we know we know what your word says, we believe what your word says, and we want to obey you. Just as the men of faith, Lord, took you for your word and moved on and obeyed. Lord, help us to do the same. And Lord, help this week to be a new week. I just pray for each one of my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would give them, uh, give us all, a fresh new desire to read your word, to digest your word and to put it within us, that it will change us, shape us, conform us to your image, that others will be drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.